Second floor, chicken dinner. We subletted a tiny three-room apartment a month after we got married, and in the hot, sweltering attic heat, we made our life plans. We would move to the other side of the country, take up mountain climbing or kayaking, buy a farm, write cookbooks, grow apples in an orchard, get a pony and a goat. But when things didn't work out as planned, we were too busy to learn kayaking. We couldn't find a decent bagel. Patrick hated the rain. We packed up our stuff and our cats and drove back across the country, right back into our safe garret apartment once again. We even sort of got our old jobs back. The cats fell into the everyday routine of in and out via the bathroom dormer to the roof, to the maple tree, to the sidewalk that they had learned just two years earlier. I walked the familiar route to the university, my office now just one building further than before. It was odd having moved across the country, being back in our old apartment with basically the same jobs and the same friends. It was comfortable, like an old, soft and tattered sweater, but it also felt a lot like failure. But we eased into our old new life. Patrick was working with an old friend of his who had just opened the hottest new restaurant in town. He worked long hours, usually 70, 80 hours a week. And because I didn't see much of him, I took a second job as a weekend cocktail waitress at that same restaurant, the one day off together. And if we didn't leave town to visit our parents in Connecticut, we'd make dinner in our minuscule kitchen and invite Hillary, the landlady, for our house to join us. In the summers, when it was too hot and airless upstairs, we would grill out in the backyard, a veritable jungle of weeping cherry and quince trees, daylilies, and sweet peas. Hillary set a beautiful table, with flowered linens and real silver, sometimes even candles, and we ate our supper with the fireflies and the peepers. In the winter, we warmed up our chilly attic apartment with second-floor chicken dinner, a baked chicken with scented rice and corn, sometimes green beans and broccoli, a simple meal which always seemed to cure what ailed us. Hillary was a great comfort to us. She lived downstairs in her silent, antiques-filled apartment. We rarely heard her except when she called one of the cats in from the trees in the backyard. She was our number one fan. She was so supportive of everything we did, no matter how far-fetched it was. She bought all of our wares, from soap to baby quilts to scones, and hired Patrick at a hugely inflated price at her insistence to cook at her dinner parties. She introduced us to her friends, invited us to her cocktail parties, and we became closer to her than our own families. We spent our holidays together downstairs in her apartment and even went to her parents' house in Maine for Thanksgiving one year. Her brothers and sisters sent us Christmas cards. She wrote us into her official end-of-life paperwork as guardians of her cat should anything happen to her. Hillary wasn't much of a cook and existed mainly on peanuts, lettuce sandwiches, and martinis. During the Prozac years, the drinking ebbed, and she added the occasional cheese plate to her dinnertime repertoire. We made it a habit of making sure she had at least two good meals a week. Patrick would make a hearty soup and leave it with some fresh bread on the stairs leading down to her part of the house, and she would join us for second-floor chicken dinner almost every Sunday. Second-floor chicken dinner was a recipe created out of guilt. Patrick's highly spiced and sometimes complex meals often made me sick, writhing on the bathroom floor in pain. He stood outside the door apologizing for the manyth time while I grumbled about his passive-aggressive cooking behavior. 
He eventually learned I was not going to be an adventurous eater and just stopped trying to talk me into something I knew I wasn't going to be able to tolerate. One Saturday night at the restaurant, I collapsed, and he drove me home, dropping me at the driveway, and then he returned to the restaurant. The next morning, I had a fever of 104 and terrible pain. He wanted to go for a bike ride, but promised to stop at our friends, who were doctors, and asked them to call and check on me. He thought I was just dehydrated, not actually sick. Our friends, the doctors, never called because Patrick never stopped to tell them I was sick. But the restaurant called to see how I was doing, and it was the head waiter, Brian, who called an ambulance to take me to the hospital for a ruptured ovarian cyst. My family didn't visit me specifically, but my sister, who had moved back to Connecticut with Alice, came up just a few days after I was released from the hospital. We had planned on celebrating her birthday brunch at the restaurant, and Dad was coming too, but the waiters and one of the busboys had to carry me to the second floor dining room, since stairs were still impossible at the time. My mother sent a card. During my convalescence, I really would only eat mild foods, and chicken was the only meat I was interested in. So between shifts at the restaurant, Patrick would come home with bits of chicken with the skin stripped off so it wouldn't be spicy, just like the chicken he would bring me and Mr. Kitty when we first met. He always brought home much more than I could eat, so when Hillary came home from work at the newspaper and stopped upstairs to check on me, I had a plate ready for her, too. We sat on the bed, eating out of aluminum foil to-go plates, watching television and talking about work or the neighborhood. She would refill my glass of soda, feed the cats. She even tried to fluff my pillows, but I had to draw the line somewhere. On Sundays, however, Patrick worked hard at keeping me happy and comfortable, including trips to the mall or the bookstore and late-night runs to the ice cream store. Most Sundays, dinner was second-floor chicken dinner. He got sick of it quickly, being a chef with highly refined taste buds, so he added spicy sauce and pine nuts and other little hot and crunchy items to his portion. Hillary and I happily ate it bland. Dessert was apple or blueberry pepperidge farm turnovers from the freezer. Sometimes I would bake something. Almost every Sunday he made this for me and Hillary with no complaints. He never tried to vary the basic recipe, although sometimes we had green beans instead of corn or mashed potatoes instead of rice. Hillary usually brought a green salad and some wine or sparkling water. We were almost always out of onions or garlic, and we borrowed freely from her dusty larder. I don't like to sit behind a dirty plate for too long, so I would clean up the table while they worked on a piece of Patrick's writing or talked about the newspaper or the restaurant. We packed up a large plate of leftovers and sent them down with Hillary for her meals for the next week. Three years later, we moved out of that apartment and into our own house across town. We had backed away from six different house deals over a two-year period for six different reasons, but deep down it was because we just weren't ready to leave Hillary's house. But finally, the perfect house fell into our laps, and we couldn't live in those three tiny little rooms anymore. It was time to leave the nest. Hillary's parents and siblings were distraught, but we promised we'd continue to feed her. Our first night in the house was Hillary's 50th birthday. She came over and Patrick served second-floor chicken dinner to celebrate. She lingered until 10 o'clock and then finally drove home to her empty house. It was weeks before I could sleep without the sound of the silence that used to come from downstairs on Transit Street. Second-floor chicken dinner. Chicken. One Empire kosher chicken or Purdue oven stuffer, three and a half to four pounds with giblets removed. 
the chicken rub, equal parts of nutmeg, cracked black pepper, cayenne pepper, and granulated garlic or garlic salt. Preheat the oven to 375. Rinse the chicken thoroughly. Rub chicken with chicken rub. Place chicken on foil lined baking sheet. Put in oven uncovered for 55 to 65 minutes. Turn chicken breast side down once during cooking, about halfway through. Check the temperature by inserting an instant read thermometer deep into the breast meat. A fully cooked breast should read 140 to 150 degrees. A reading in the leg meat may be lower. Remember that well done meat in the leg joint may cause the breast to be dry, stringy, and overcooked. For this reason, you may want to adjust the cooking time to meet your preference. Second floor chicken dinner, basmati rice. Two cups of basmati rice, three and a half cups water, one tablespoon butter, one half teaspoon kosher salt. Melt butter in a two quart saucepan over medium heat. Add the rice and salt to the saucepan, stir the rice to coat the grains with the melted butter. Toast the rice to three to four minutes, stirring often. Do not leave pan unattended. Once the rice is a light golden brown, add the water. Bring rice to a boil, reduce heat to a very low simmer. Do not stir the rice. Simmer eight to 12 minutes until steam holes form in the rice. It is important to move the rice, remove the rice from heat before all the water evaporates. Tip the saucepan and check carefully the bottom of the pan with a spoon. If there's a little water and a lot of steam, you're in good shape. Cover the rice and set aside, i.e. off the flame, for 10 minutes to finish. Second floor chicken dinner, green beans. One pound fresh or frozen green beans. If using fresh, please trim the bean ends. One and a half cups water, one teaspoon butter, salt and pepper to taste. Bring water, butter to a simmer in a small saucepan. Insert small steamer full of beans into pan. Steam over medium heat to three to five minutes to desired tenderness. Season with salt and pepper and additional butter if needed. Serve immediately. Second floor chicken dinner, sweet corn. One pound frozen shoe peg white corn, one and a half cups water, butter, salt, and pepper. Bring water to a simmer in a small saucepan. Put the corn in. Cook over medium heat until corn is cooked to desired tenderness. Add salt and pepper and butter as needed. Serve immediately. Thank you for your support of this first season of Two Chocolate Cakes. I'll be back in midsummer with season two with more essays from the dinner table. Sidecar will continue to run on the weekends. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can join the Two Chocolate Cakes Patreon, and info on how to do that is at twochocolatecakes.com and in these show notes. See you this weekend for Sidecar, all the news about the farmer's markets and what's going on in my kitchen and in my head, and later in the summer for Two Chocolate Cakes Season 2.